Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It feels like a, a long time. I hope you had a good Chag and everybody had a wonderful Yontif. The Chag was wonderful. It was very difficult to go into Shabbos Cholamoy not having spoken to you. I thought you'd at least uh, leave me a voicemail or give me some update on what's happening in this world, something. I, I was being treated for withdrawal symptoms, so I couldn't <laughs> take any phone calls. Oh, I didn't realize you'd miss it as much as I did. Wow, that's so nice. Very sweet of you. Uh, I'll tell you, there are so many stories that have gone on over the last couple of weeks that uh, many people are so curious about, and frankly... Many people are fearful about. I start, of course, with the leaflets that were distributed in the eastern Ukraine uh, telling Jews to register with a self-proclaimed local authority or face consequences. And these uh, uh, leaflets, of course, which uh, harken back to uh, an era and a place that was uh, uh, not a pleasant one in Jewish history, uh, has instilled great fear, not only in the Ukrainian community, although I can only imagine what Jews there are going through, but I'm sure even you and others here in the United States, including myself, felt a shudder when we heard about Jewish registration. Tell us about this procedure introduced by authorities in the eastern part of the Ukraine. Well, this was not uh, the authorities who instituted it. It was a rogue group that uh, various people have associated with either the Russians as a provocation or pro-Russian forces, uh, Ukrainian extremists. Uh, others said, uh, said that it was provocation even maybe by the Ukrainian government in order to evoke a response against the Russians and against the situation. But there are all sorts of provocations going on. This had nothing to do with the government. The government denounced it. The prime minister made a very strong speech about it. In fact, I'm meeting with top Ukrainian officials this morning, uh, again, who, who are coming to, to explain their position that this was not their doing. The fact is that it's a chaotic situation. The police are, are stretching. They, they don't respond to things because they're, you know, being border police at one time and, and the criminal police and dealing with the protecting buildings against the potential occupation, and as has taken place in many locations. So this got hyped um, as uh, as being targeted to Jews, but in fact, the groups did the same thing on college campuses against foreign students, against other ethnic groups. Uh, it was a matter of concern. It tells you how tense the situation is and how uh, the the locals, the, the Jewish community there, uh, is on edge and and the tension and the experience that they had walking out of synagogue, a few dozen people and facing armed men with masks handing out these leaflets telling them to, to go and register. All right, so what, what, what the, I understand those who say it, it could be, you know, Ukrainian officials who want to blame the Russians or assign blame in that direction, but what would be the, it, it, was there a Russian response? Was there a, because it, it, it was painted as if, you know, Russian authorities approved of all this. Uh, did, did Russia respond to this? Aside from the prime minister of the Ukraine, well, the the Russians uh, are are pointing to all these incidents, and the the belief was that they're looking for a pretext to be able to go in and say that you see the Ukrainian government is not capable of handling uh, the situation, or that Russian speaking peoples, or it's a cultural war as much as it is a political war in the Ukraine. Uh, that uh, you know, and that they come in as the defenders. The, the, I think more people believe today 
that the Russians are not about to invade, that the economic consequences for them would be very great. You know, Russia's economy, gross domestic product, is equal to Italy. It is not the great power that that uh, Putin has successfully projected. I think they they he, he's taken bold steps. He's he's not just doing it there; it's in other areas. I know leaders from uh, countries that were in the former Soviet Union who have expressed to us over the last two years their concerns, and even longer perhaps, uh, their concerns about this and uh, the the desire of Putin to reestablish the former Soviet Union or at least their sphere of influence. Uh, so this has become a serious challenge. They, the sanctions hurt uh, uh, Russia, but 50, more than 50% of their income is from the oil that they export and gas and energy, which um, actually can't right now be replaced. And there has to be long-term thinking about how you, you take away this leverage. Um, but beyond that, they export very little. So the economic sanctions can have an impact and an impact on the people where the stagnation of the economy has had an impact on unemployment, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So he, he has to look about how far he can stretch it. Right now, his popularity has soared. Putin's popularity has soared as a result of this uh, aggressiveness and, and reassertion of you know, Russian pride and Russian... Uh, um, you know, the former Russian stance. Right. So with Yom HaShoah approaching especially, it may be uh, good to analyze this for a moment. So while at other times in history, countries or administrations or presidents or chancellors or leaders proudly proclaimed that Jews must either register or they would take certain actions against Jews or whatever, you know, fill in the blank however you wish against Jews, and they went ahead and did this with pride, now... We see a case here, based on what you're telling us, where both sides are trying to lay the blame on the other because they wouldn't want worldwide opinion to think that they are the ones who are bringing sanctions or anything else against the Jewish community. Absolutely. And, they, they, and again, the ulterior motives that it's provocations, not just directed in this instance. You know, there were a limited number of anti-Semitic incidents, but we know from the past that there is a, an undercurrent and that the rise of, of some of the extremist parties has been a matter of concern as well. But there, there is not the kind of broad-based anti-Semitic uh, actions, uh, even in the wake of the instability of the, of the change, the fall of government, the change in government uh, in, the, in the recent months. How many thousands of Jews have you told us are in the Ukraine? I forget the number. Around, approximately? No, you know, that's exactly the answer. It's around approximately something, but nobody knows for sure. So could it be 10, could it be? 100 and 300,000. Oh, it could, it, it could be over 100,000. It is definitely over 100,000. 17,000 Jews, they estimate, in the Crimea alone. So even over the holiday, you're in touch with leadership there in the Jewish community. How'd they respond to this? Did did anybody register? Did anybody take it seriously? No, no. People, well, the, well, there was no place to register, and it wasn't a governmental thing, and it was immediately... Right. Uh, Were you happy with the way that Secretary of State Kerry reacted to the story when it came out? Well, they issued a very strong statement, and I think he used the word repugnant, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, so did other European leaders uh, respond to it, and uh, I think the administration was uh, right on it. I know the American ambassador uh, also was was involved. Uh, you know, there have to be clear markers, and it has to come from Europe and the United States, saying that we're not going to tolerate any kind of actions of this kind. So the next couple of weeks are going to be very critical, you would say, in this situation, or it's basically going to be a stalemate for a while? 
Well, it depends on what, what Putin's real goal. A lot of people feel he's not going to move into to the Ukraine, although he has troops and satellites show there are a lot of Russian troops along the border. If if there is some sort of uh, an explosion, uh, I think likely he could move in under the guise of being a peacekeeping force, so-called, or something like that. Uh, but he knows that the, 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 that the reaction in Europe and the United States will be very strong. The problem is that the West has no credibility with anybody, you know, that, that we're really determined to make, to go all the way and to do whatever is necessary. You know, we've sent some troops, the United States has sent troops to certain critical locations, but you're talking about 150 uh, men being sent to different uh, locations as a presence, which is fine, and we're not looking to see a hot war between the East and West in this. But we are seeing ourselves moving back towards the Cold War. All right. I, I, I tend not to uh, get into my philosophical rant until later in these discussions, so excuse me for a moment. But as you sat down to the Seder uh, at, uh, on, uh, you know, on Monday night, and uh, uh, we thank God are in the lap of luxury, whether one's in, uh, you know, lucky enough to be in a hotel or lucky enough to be in, at free, in freedom at home, whatever the case may be, um, uh, we're, we're all in the lap of luxury, relatively speaking, compared to other areas of the world. Did you sit down to that Seder and say to yourself, my God, how lucky we are because Jews in so many places on this globe are sitting down in a very precarious situation tonight? Uh, uh, absolutely. And I, I made a point in one of my speeches over Yontav that, you know, when you read the Megillah, the mitzvah is to not to see it just as something that happened a thousand years ago, but you have to look at it as a contemporary document. The same thing, I think, with the Seder, that you have to understand its contemporary significance. That's why they use the present tense in the Haggadah. The enemies that arose, behold, over there. It uses the present tense to remind us that the enemies of old are present today. And I can't believe that anybody, with all of the events that took place uh, during Yantiv, and especially this one provocation before people knew how serious it was, didn't think back to... As you as you mentioned earlier, to other days in that country and in others, and not think that uh, you know, uh, Rakov Kamenetsky once uh, pointed out, I believe it was him, as uh, saw that he said that um, that the whole Darvador. Wasn't there any generation that didn't face it? And he said you have to look at the next paragraph, Teilumad in the Haggadah, the next paragraph which describes Lavan's Bikesh Lakars. I called that Lavan wanted to destroy everything. And that he said when Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, our forefather, thought he was living in relative quiet, and at all the time there was the plots going on. So he said even in the generations when you don't have it overtly that the Jews are under threat, just understand mm. uh, those who are plotting. And we see this now in so many places, the, the unrest, and while Israel's position can be relatively strong, and et cetera, we see the, the attempts to demonize and delegitimize Israel growing every day. I just saw yesterday that $17.5 million was allocated by Denmark, Sweden, Holland for lawfare against the state of Israel by wow. government. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, I appreciate you including what you just said in this discussion. It shows the uniqueness of our conversation. Very, very few other uh, public places acknowledge the role of Jewish history in all of this. Uh, you mentioned different things that happened over the... Um, uh, over the last couple of weeks, and we will get to NYU yesterday. Uh, there, there are students in this audience who want to make sure we get to it. Uh, but let's start um, uh, locally or more domestically with Kansas. Uh, we see a um, 
uh, a shooter go, murder three people, obviously was intending uh, to murder Jews, went into a Jewish location uh, to do so, and uh, we find out some interesting things about this shooter at this point. Uh, I mean, I guess the first thing to come to mind is something you've been saying to us for years, is that you can't let your guard down. This is not to suggest that anybody in Kansas was was lax when it comes to security in Jewish public places, but uh, uh, the the vigilance that one must take at this point and realize how we have you know enemies living next door is uh, is, is just more and more obvious at this point. And and look at this guy's uh, alleged neo-Nazi clan, other associations. That this is not a lone guy who doesn't have other people uh, who share his belief. Even the mayor of the town said that he you know, make complimentary or, or almost supportive comments, and it became an issue of, uh, of debate. And the real danger is that people respond during the days after an incident. But it can't be just now. This is going to happen. It happens at different times in different places. We have set up the secure community network. People go to the website, scnus.org. You'll find all sorts of advice, things that can be done free. They will help you. We, we are begging places. We've hold, held um, conference calls across the country with hundreds of uh, people representing institutions and organizations, security uh, chiefs of, of uh, campuses of Jewish, you know, uh, Jewish centers and others around the country. The need is so great. I understand it's a financial burden, but this is so essential because you're going to look back afterwards and say, what did we do? You can't prevent everything, but you can deter. And in this case, they did have uh, security, and our people went out there and uh, are working with the Federation through the uh, local Jewish JCC, et cetera. But we saw that in Los Angeles. We've seen it in, uh, in Seattle. Unfortunately, you had fatalities in various places. People can't become lax, and it's not just Arab Yantin right before a holiday, right. and the police are more activated and everybody more active. It's got to be year-round. Yeah, no question about it. And it's funny because uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but um, you know, parents um, and others associated with schools often react that you know maybe schools and institutions are overreacting or are you know taking unnecessary precautions or spending a budget unnecessarily. You would say there's no such thing. You got to go to every degree possible to uh, to secure our sites. Absolutely, and you know for how many years I keep pushing this idea that they do in England of having right. parents sign up to do one-day guard duty throughout the year. One day, right. half a day, if there are enough children. Uh, Malcolm Holine is with us. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Yom HaShoah observance is Monday. Wednesday, we're in Washington, D.C., as we celebrate NORPAC 1000, as they are this close to getting their 1,000th registrant, a significant number and an amazing accomplishment for this coming Wednesday's uh, mission to Washington. An NYU dorm, I'm referring to NYU in downtown Manhattan. For those of you tuned in around the world who may not be familiar with the geography, this happened uh, right in the middle of... Um, of New York City, an NYU dorm known for its large Jewish population was papered with fake eviction notices that aimed to draw attention to the, quote, reality Palestinians confront on an ongoing basis. Students found the flyers at Palladium Hall Thursday morning. Um, the flyers have left students feeling uncomfortable and targeted, according to a student 
who broke the news of the Flyers on the Times of Israel website on Thursday morning. I emphasize that this happened in New York City, Malcolm. You would think that the, the campus wars are more difficult to fight in areas outside of New York for obvious reasons. But right here at uh, NYU in New York City, uh, the BDS movement, I guess, is as active as ever. Are there any type of, I don't know, legal responses to actions like this or any type of disciplinary action that officials at a place like NYU can take when this type of uncomfortable activity is targeted at certain students? Absolutely. And they have to demand that the administration act against those responsible. This is something that's happened in Michigan. It's happened in other places. It's a tactic of the you know, pro-Arab, pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel elements. They use different guises, but bottom line, we see ultimately the hints of anti-Semitism and Jew hatred in, in a lot of these activities. By the way, one of the sentences in the eviction notice reads, and I quote, Eviction notices are routinely given to Palestinian families living under Israeli occupation for no other reason than their ethnicity. Could you analyze the accuracy of that statement? Well, of course, it's not true. Uh, I mean, are there cases when they are expelled from illegal uh, buildings? But very rarely, actually, even uh, proportionately, more Jews are evicted and housing permits denied or housing construction stopped because people and, and, and the Arabs... Palestinians build tens of thousands of units every year, but you don't hear about it and people don't write about it. But uh, I want to go back to the essence of this uh, effort. Yeah. That I mean, can you imagine if this had been done to another ethnic group on the basis of, uh, of any political issue? And there would be such an uproar. And there has to be constant pressure, and universities have to be held to account. No one can prevent students from from engaging in this kind of activity, but you can hold people to account for it. We can, in the same way that they would do diversity training or, you know, sensitivity training uh, about this, uh, if it were in other instances or circumstances, there's got to be constant pressure. And we have the Lawfare Project, which is providing support to students and providing, um, taking legal action in many instances, uh, not just with students, but against the BDS movement and against the those who try to use the law or hide behind the guise of academic freedom. This is not academic freedom. And to intimidate, to threaten, to create this kind of uh, atmosphere of hostility would be absolutely uh, uh, unacceptable in any other circumstance, and it has to be in this regard as well. So, not limiting freedom of speech is something. So why, why are people, myself included, uh, why are other, I don't know, why are, why are leaders in the Jewish community, what is it, we're immune to this? Like we just, it, we're, we're so used to it that we, 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 we sort of subconsciously feel there's no need or it's worthless to respond to it? Because as you just said, you know, we, 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 there should be complete outrage. The newspapers and, uh, and Internet should be filled with press conferences and meetings this morning across the board from all members of the Jewish community. Well, the first thing is when it comes to academic uh, settings, the students often don't want outside interference. They want to handle it themselves. They want to. Uh, they don't want to, you know, continue to focus attention. And there are many people who actually believe that it is the more prudent approach mm. in some of these instances, uh, not to, to give uh, added visibility, but but the overall response. And and your point is so important because that true too is a lesson of the history is that we become so used to 
things that we would have been outraged about a few years ago. We keep raising the bar in what we will tolerate, and we have to stop. We have to respond to it. We have to, to react to it, whether it's in a college campus, whether it's a governmental uh, government spokesman, whether it's a guy in Kansas, whether it's you know the United Nations putting Iran in charge of the Committee on Rights of Women and on NGOs and electing Sudan and Cuba, all these bodies that are going to, countries that are just going to use it as a platform to continue to condemn Israel or the applications now the Palestinians to these 16 aid um, conventions, which will become automatically accepted in a few days. And then 48 more agencies, and, and, you know, we're creating a new reality. They walk away from the talks. They go sit down with Hamas, which continues to to uh, call for the destruction of Israel and said we're not going to change our position, not on violence, not on non-recognition. And the Secretary General of the U.N. says, well, we, we met with them and, you know, the, uh, Abbas is still in control, so we're okay. <laughs> Other Europeans not reacting at all. The, I mean, this, this should evoke outrage when Hamas, which is recognized by the world, and the United States included, in, as a terrorist organization. And, and uh, Abbas, uh, Eric Hart said they're not, they never were, they never will be, maybe they are, but we didn't see it. They're not a terrorist group. It's, you know, it's a mockery, but, and there's so many things, so it's hard to, you can't respond to right. everything when there are so many different things happening at the same time. And we'll talk about, uh, more about that peace process and American reaction to this whole thing in a moment. But may, maybe that's the addition to what you said earlier. Omdim aleinu lechaloseinu, and maybe that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu matzileinu miyadam, because... Human beings incapable. Exactly. We're so beaten over the head <laughs> over all these centuries that only God could step in and, uh, and uh, take the action as if it's something that just uh, occurred. And by the way, to my beloved audience on this topic of uh, speaking up, there is a rally this coming Sunday at 11.30 in the morning a Holocaust Remembrance Rally in front of the U.N.-Iranian Mission, 3rd Avenue, East 40th Street in New York City. Everybody is encouraged to be there. Again, a Holocaust Remembrance Rally, 1130 this coming Sunday morning in front of the U.N.-Iranian Mission. That's 3rd Avenue, East 40th Street in New York City. All right, so it, so what is it? it? It's an official Fatah-Hamas uh, merger acknowledgement of uh, the greatness of each group. What, what exactly happened this week? No one's sure what exactly happened. What is sure is that the United States and the West were caught completely off guard, despite the fact that we have a team still working on the ground, and they met with him the day before, and he, Abbas has been raising the demands. Uh, you notice also how the effort to, to try and pin this on Israel, uh, when in fact the United States has spoken out against it, uh, so have other countries uh, pointing to the fact that this is uh, Israel can't be expected to negotiate with uh, with parties that don't recognize the right exists and threaten violence and expressing disappointment to Abbas. But he snookered him. He just went and made this move. Whether in fact this will be consummated is a very big question. Whether the the marriage of of the uh, Palestine the PA the Fatah Authority and the Hamas can actually be be carried out, but the the chutzpah of it and the the effort. Now there are, could be a couple of motivations. One financial that maybe they want to buy into the sources of support, Qatar, Iran, for the Hamas. Hamas's condition is terrible. Their their economic conditions are awful. They uh, the Egyptians have successfully closed a lot of the tunnels. They they've been acting against the, their smuggling of weapons 
the LCC uh, uh, government, the, the government of the generals, has been uh, relatively uh, very effective, in fact, uh, in ways that uh, the previous governments weren't. And the, um, you know, the, the questions that he had raised, that he wanted a freeze on settlements, a, a release of prisoners, he wants to focus only on borders, these were all demands that he had been making all along, knowing that these things would not work, and he, he wanted to bring in the Russians as as interlocutors instead of just not to the United States. Um, has Israel suspended talks? Israel has uh, walked away from, has announced that it would suspend its participation in the talks. At 7 a.m.? Uh, and there's no expectation. How could, you, how could they sit with, uh, with a, a potential government? And that would make, by the way, the whole, whole regime, the West Bank regime and the Gaza regime together, if merged, um, as subject to sanctions, it means U.S. aid would have to be cut off. That is the law. Congress, I can tell you, is is uh, very angry, have been all along, but uh, and I think would support cutting off aid and holding uh, the Palestinians to, to U.S. law and, and even maybe the administration, forcing administration's hand in this regard. By the way, another topic for people to keep in mind if they're heading to Washington this coming week, that uh, members of Congress need to be supported on that, right? They have to be encouraged. Absolutely have to be told, and this is, this is, I mean, they've crossed so many red lines, and we've already erased the red lines in so many ways, and red lines became pink lines and then yellow lines. Uh, I think that the, 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 this is really such a, a blatant thing and they and they in the PA blogs they're threatening Egypt they're threatening other Arabs if they don't come and support them and and uh, asking for money to make up the potential deficit and, and if I could say one other thing I just I forgot in regard to your earlier point about the expulsions that they refer to you know a, a study that was just done and released over Yantav showed that the Arab population in Jerusalem has doubled in the last 20 years. And in fact, in the growth of population, that Yerushalayim now has a population, I think, of 815,000, the bigger growth is in the Arab sector than in the Jewish sector. And and at the same time, they're talking about how they're being expelled or, or being thrown out of the... Uh, Unbelievable. Um, at 7 a.m. this morning, we had a news report from Israel on the air, and in it was a quote from President Obama. We have not seen the will to make tough decisions. He, of course, was referring to the suspension of talks with the PA, and uh, I guess that was his general analysis of the situation in the Middle East. Now, to, to, it, it seems to me that this is what you're referring to when you say laying the blame on Israel, because how much more could Israel possibly have offered the PA at these negotiating sessions, and yet even the President of the United States equates them to the PA in terms of uh, you know, lack of desire to make concessions and make tough decisions. So I think the the uh, the point you're making is very important. That in, initially we saw the reaction. I mean, obviously this is such a blatant move. We know that the, uh, Abbas has constantly raised the demands, and that's why I cited the comments before to show that this is a pattern. It's not just this act. It's been a constant pattern. And Ari Shavit, who certainly no right-winger, uh, the Israeli journalist who just wrote a best-selling book uh, about the, about Israel that, you know, people right center criticized, and he writes about why we shouldn't be surprised by Abbas's refusal. He said, you know, we went to, 
when Omer came with proposals, we went behind them, and they said no. When uh, when when Barack came with the proposals and offered him everything, they said no. And he goes back to to Balin's proposals and others and said they constantly said no. So why should you be surprised? But we see then the reversion all the time to this even-handedness of having to say both sides weren't helpful. The BB with settlements and this and that. They don't tell the truth about that. This last announcement, for instance. It wasn't about building, it was about zoning, and it was about Gilo, in, in, which is part of, of Jerusalem. And all of that within the areas that were, were by consensus, going to be part of, of Israel in, uh, in a settlement. Uh, so this, uh, this constant effort to always lay equal blame, there has to be a clear statement that the Palestinians went and made common cause now, or trying to make common cause with Hamas. Again, I am a big skeptic about whether it will actually... Uh, how far it will actually go, and um, and as far as I know, in the community, the response has been uh, by across the board uh, one of of uh, being very upset and, and critical of of uh, the Palestinian move. I'm sure you heard about the terror attack, uh, Arav Yantif, the fa- the family traveling from Modi'in to Kiryat Arba. Uh, Mr. Mizrahi was killed. I always ask you this, and I don't even know if there's a way to, you know, accurately describe it. I mean, we're always curious, for whatever reason, is this, are these isolated incidents? Are they coordinated incidents? Is there, you know, is there a big umbrella organization that sends out people to carry out these murders? Uh, What what would you say? I would say that there is uh, both. Uh, you can have isolated incidents, but you also have a pattern, especially at this location, uh, where we've had shootings before. And here, it wasn't a single individual, and they had weapons, and this was clearly a planned attack. Uh, whether the uh, not directed at this particular victim, I think I think they were going to get somebody before Yantiv, and they know that it's a very sensitive time in that Jews travel, and um, people. You know, have to go to other visit other people's homes and for the holiday. So it is yes, there is um, some system to it, but it can be long practitioners actually carrying out these attacks. And what about other attacks? I read on the Jerusalem Post website about uh, stabbings over the last few days. Are those in the category of terror attacks? Uh, you know, crimes in Israel, like what? Once you create this atmosphere of permissiveness, when you have the incitement, like yelling Al-Aqsa is in danger, meaning the Temple Mount, the Harabayat, um, this, we've seen the provocations there over the last couple of weeks because they're trying to create an international incident. They, they attacked through stones on the people coming to pray on, on the holiday at the Kotel. Um, the, this is a, an intentional provocation. This is meant to excite the Muslim world. Uh, Abbas constantly goes reverts back to this charge, you know, that it's in danger, not only he but other officials of the PA. And, it, and they know that there's nothing that triggers a greater response uh, from the streets. And then you have the people rush to the, to the Temple Mount. And uh, as you know, Jews are limited in, in their access, and the Israeli government is, is, is bending over to the point of cracking to be sensitive and... Uh, and punishing the Israelis, the Jewish Israelis who who want to go up there because they limit the, their their access, uh, because nobody wants to see you know this this uh, explosion there. But the they they stopped, piled up stones for many days before, so this was not spontaneous. This was planned, 
and uh, and Israel tries to to limit the the number of people of Arabs going up there because it becomes uncontrollable, and they try not to have kids who who will engage in the kind of stone throwing. But they they threw yesterday stones on kids, and we had incidents at at at, at Harazetim at the cemetery where the American family was trying to to go to the funeral of their father and uh, were were attacked. The woman suffered shock there. They they attacked the the car. It, it disabled it actually, and uh, masked the group that that came in. It wasn't just one incident again of that. So, you know, the, the, there has to be a crackdown. But if you have a crackdown when you try to restore law and order, as you would in any city, then the international community comes down on, on Israel rather than on those perpetrating these crimes. Oh, no question about that. Uh, Yom HaShoah this coming um, uh, Monday. I mean, it's Sunday's the twenty seventh of Nissan, but as we've discussed many times, it's postponed in this situation until Sunday night. And Monday, we are getting closer to the 100th anniversary of World War II than uh, than to World War II itself. And uh, growing up, uh, I uh, always remember, and I'm sure you remember this even better than me, uh, the warnings that soon the survivors would no longer be with us. Uh, there, there's something to the fact of living through that era, as we see less and less people who are actually there and saw the horrors and, horrors and experienced the horrors of World War II, um, maybe the most significant effort since um, since the Holocaust was the incredible work that was done to get everything down on film to make sure survivors' testimonies would live on forever. Uh, maybe at Schindler's List as just you know just one example of uh, something being produced that had an impact worldwide and hopefully will continue to have for generations. That might be the most important thing in terms of keeping the memory alive. And, and the revelations, the continuing revelations, everybody thinks we know everything about the Shoah. How could you not? Seventy years later, how could they keep hiding? And yet, constantly, critical factors are coming in, into, are being exposed, uh, facts that people were not aware of. Just in the last couple of days, a group, uh, because of the efforts of some students in Holland and Amsterdam doing research, young, young people came across information that Amsterdam, the officials in Amsterdam, find Holocaust victims. Remember that, that 75% of Dutch Jewry was killed, mm. and they found out that they charged them $10 million in fines uh, for, for, or taxes for their uh, housing when they were in concentration camps. And much of their housing was used by Nazis and by others, um, but they charged them these exorbitant fees, uh, outrageous fees, just in principle, for the time they were in concentration camps or, or worse, um, and returned, were hit with these taxes. So now the mayor of Amsterdam is suggesting, you know, that the money be re- repaid to them. Uh, most of them are not alive, uh, and and there's constant revelations that, you know, the the New York Times report that there were 42,000 labor camps, concentration camps, all kinds of installations of Europe, of Germany in Europe, which just always emphasizes and magnifies the fact that those who say they didn't know, these institutions were everywhere. Everybody saw them, and they continue to try to live the lie. Unbelievable. Something to remember as we uh, again commemorate Yom HaShoah uh, in observances both Sunday and Monday. Um can I say one thing that I think people, I don't know how many people saw this. It was a little story about a unit in the Israeli army called 9900. 
which is made up of autistic young people who they found have extraordinary skills in reading satellite images and maps or, or um, drone images, and that they can see what other people can't see. And not only that, they have unique analytical abilities, and they keep expanding this unit of, uh, within the Israeli army. And I, I just, you know, people, things like this, which is such an incredible story, and the, the fact that, you know, in the Knesset there are 32 autistic young people, and I saw reaction of, of movie stars who unfortunately have uh, children with autism, who were so blown away by the way Israel handles this, uh, and said no words in the world. And the, you know, as we come closer to almost and stuff, there's times we got to stand back and stop taking it all for granted and, and tell the true story uh, of what Israel is doing, you know, that Japan is coming there to build floating desalination plants. Tourism from China went up 30% in the last year. The Chinese uh, are becoming, and Asians are be- replacing the United States as the number one trading partner. Everybody wants these countries are getting into Israel, the Africans and so many others, that we also have to tell that part of the story and be reminded of it. Phenomenal. Malcolm, excellent. We'll reconvene. You're around next week, right? God willing. We'll reconvene, please, God, next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos.